our powerful preserving influence can become so mixed and so contaminated that we lose our preserving power. You say, how does that happen? Well, it happens through compromise and conformity. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part two of The Power of Your Influence. What does it mean to have influence? In your own life, what influences you the most? Is it a person, a work of art, maybe a song or a book? Are you someone's primary means of influence? If so, how do you handle that responsibility? Well, today you'll learn that Jesus uses the analogy of salt to depict how believers are meant to view influence, both from the outside and within. Let's join Tom Pennington now as we discover more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. I had eggs this morning and I put salt on them. And you know why I put salt on them? Is because it's biblical to put salt on eggs. No, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Job 6. Listen to this. I love this. Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? <laughs> the answer is no. So I put salt on. And it was used in the ancient world for seasoning as well. A second purpose of salt in the ancient world was as a cleanser or antiseptic. You can see an example of this in Ezekiel 16. God is speaking metaphorically about the birth of Israel. And he writes of her birth, As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. These were the normal practices for a newborn in that time period. Newborns were typically bathed in or rubbed in salt in order to cleanse them. It was a way in the ancient world for them to fight bacteria. A third use of salt in the ancient world was as a preservative, to preserve meat and other food items. Those uses made it a very valuable commodity. It was sometimes included with wine and oil as a staple of life. And so it's fascinating here that Jesus tells us we are the salt of the earth. Now that's the picture. But that brings us to a second question, and that's what's the point? Okay, I've got the picture. We're salt. But what's Jesus' point? Well, both of these illustrations, salt and light, are what linguists would call metaphors. Now, here's how a metaphor works. Bear with me as I give you a a brief English lesson, because I hope it'll bear fruit, okay? Here's how a metaphor works. When there's a metaphor, there is a topic. There's something you're talking about. There is an image That is a picture you use to talk about that topic. And there is a third aspect of a metaphor, and that's the point of similarity. There is some point of similarity between the topic, the thing you're talking about, and the image that you use to describe that topic. Let me give you an example. In the Gospels, Jesus says this about Herod, the king. He says, go tell that fox. Okay, in that metaphor, you have a topic. The topic is King Herod. Jesus describes King Herod as a fox. That's the image. So the question is, what is the point of similarity between Herod and a fox? 
Okay, well, what are the qualities of a fox? Okay, he has red hair. That's probably not it. Four legs, definitely not it. Long snout, no. I mean, obviously, in this case, the point of similarity is that a fox is clever and sly, and Herod was clever and sly. That's the point of similarity. The question we have to ask back here in Matthew 5 is, what is the point of similarity between true Christians, true citizens of Jesus' spiritual kingdom, and salt? Now, it's important before we answer that question to remember that a metaphor can be used different ways in Scripture. For example, leaven or yeast. It is often used for evil in the Bible, but it's not always used for evil. But some Christians get it in their mind, it must always mean evil. Every time I see leaven, it's going to be evil. So they come to Matthew 13, there Jesus uses leaven to describe the secret, powerful growth of his kingdom, and they're stumped because they're still looking for evil. So understand that different qualities... Different applications of a metaphor can be different in different places. The same is true for this metaphor of salt. If you look elsewhere in the scripture, it'll be used differently. For example, in Luke 14, salt is used to describe the permanence of discipleship. In Mark chapter 9, we saw this when we were studying the gospel of Mark. It's used to make three different points at the end of Mark 9. But here in Matthew 5, let's ask ourselves this. What is the quality or qualities of salt that are true of Christians and their influence. Are we like salt to be a seasoning that makes life full of flavor? Perhaps there's truth in that. Christians add that zest to life, at least many do. Some are more like bland food. Are we like salt to be a cleanser, a purifier? I think Jesus' main point is the third use of salt in the ancient world. And by far the most common use of salt in the ancient world was as a preservative. And by the way, most commentators would agree with me here. Before refrigeration, the only way to keep meat from spoiling shortly after the animal was killed was to rub salt into the meat or soak it in a a briny salt water. By soaking or rubbing the meat with salt through the process that is called osmotic pressure, the salt actually replaces the blood. And that preserves the meat from too much bacterial growth. It causes it to move more slowly. Then when you take that meat that's all salty and you soak it in water, reverse osmosis makes it edible again. The salt dissolves and you're able to enjoy the meat. So salt then kept meat from rotting. Jesus calls us salt, listen carefully, to show the power of our preserving influence in the world. Now, what does that say about Jesus' perspective of the world? That it's decaying, that it's given to rottenness. Left alone, it will continue to get worse and worse. And by the way, Jesus isn't talking about the planet here. He's talking about people He's saying that we as his followers combat the moral and spiritual decay that is all around us. Listen to what Kent Hughes writes in his commentary. He says, Christians exert an incalculable influence on society. Their mere presence reduces crime, restrains ethical corruption, promotes honesty, quickens the conscience, and elevates the general moral atmosphere. Their absence allows unbelievable depths of depravity. You can see that, can't you? If you look at the countries in the world that have been under the influence of true Christianity, 
There is a preserving influence in that society and culture. But how do we exert that influence? It is by being what Christians are to be and doing what Christians are to do. One writer says it this way, Christian saltiness is Christian character as depicted in the Beatitudes. It is committed Christian discipleship. Listen, you genuinely follow Jesus Christ and what he's teaching in this sermon, and you will be salt. You can't help it. You will be. D.A. Carson writes, Jesus' disciples are to act as a preservative in the world by conforming to kingdom norms. Just live out the principles of living in Jesus' spiritual kingdom that are right here in this sermon. Live in obedience to Christ. Follow him. Try to make decisions that honor him, and you will be salt. One author, Tasker, puts it this way, we are called to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing, or non-existent. You know, it's interesting, one of the qualities of salt is permanence. It's very stable. You can't destroy it by burning, and in fact, if you put enough salt on the fire, what happens? You put it out. If you dissolve salt in water, you're not really getting rid of the salt. All that's happening is that the sodium and chloride ions separate. You take out the H2O and there's your salt. Still there. So here's the point. Listen carefully. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us, you and you alone are permanently the moral preservative I have put on the earth, not just for the nation Israel, but for the whole earth. Wherever you are, you are to be that preservative. Now I'm going to come back to how to do that, but let's look at the rest of the verse and look at a third question, and that question is, what's the peril? What's the danger? Because there's a danger Jesus raises here in this whole concept. Look at the second half of verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? What happens if salt becomes tasteless? The word tasteless really means to lose its saltiness, unsalty, you could say. If the salt has become unsalty, how can it be made salty again? You say, wait a minute, time out. You just said salt was permanent. Can't lose its saltiness. How can it become unsalty? Well, pure salt can't. Real sodium chloride can't. But in the first century world, there were two problems. The first problem was that one of the main sources of their salt was the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is very salty, but it's salt that's mixed also with gypsum and with other minerals. And in the process of mining the salt deposits there or evaporating the water there in salt pans, the real salt, the real sodium chloride could leach out. And what you were left with was a mixture that had far too much gypsum, far too many other minerals, and very little real salt. So what was sometimes in the first century, of course, they didn't, have, they didn't have microscopes. They couldn't examine it. It looked like salt. They had every reason to believe it was salt. What they called salt was, in fact, not salt. There was another problem. The other problem was that because salt was so valuable in the first century, unscrupulous dealers would often mix in similar-looking substances to pad their profits to make the real salt they had purchased go further. So if the salt you bought somehow became 
tasteless or unsalted. You discovered that it wasn't the real deal. Jesus asked, how can it be made salty again? He says, notice verse 13, it is no longer good for anything. Literally, the text says, it has power for nothing. It has no influence. But notice it's not just useless, it's dangerous. Most foods that spoil can be recycled. They can be recycled in the garden. They can be recycled in the compost bin. But contaminated salt can't be put into the garden because it still has enough salt in it that it'll kill the plants. And it can't be put into the compost heap because it'll destroy certain of the bacteria that are making that process happen. So what do you do with worthless salt? There's only one thing in the first century world. Verse 13 says, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Throw it in the road or on the path, then at least it'll kill the weeds you don't want there, and it won't harm anything good. What is Jesus giving us here? A serious warning. Jesus is warning us that what happened with real salt in the first century can happen to us. Our powerful, preserving influence can become so mixed and so contaminated that we lose our preserving power. You say, how does that happen? Well, it happens through compromise and conformity. When you and I as Christians become so interested in being like the world and the people around us that we become more like the rot around us than the salt we're supposed to be. Too many Christians live and think and talk and work just like unbelievers. They absolutely embrace the rot and they look just like it. You can't tell any difference. If you're a professing follower of Jesus Christ, is that true of you? Can the people in your life see any difference between you and them? The word translated become tasteless, there's a word play here in this text. The the word translated become tasteless there occurs four times in the New Testament. Two times it's describing salt. The other two times it has its more common Greek meaning. Are you ready for this? It means to become foolish. It's translated that way in 1 Corinthians 1. To become foolish, to become moronic. It's the word from which we get the word moron. Jesus is very likely using a word play. He's saying that those disciples of his who no longer function as salt have lost their saltiness and they are making fools out of themselves. There's another danger, another warning in this text. Not only a warning that true Christians can lose their preserving influence by becoming so mixed and contaminated by the rot around them, but the other warning is even more sobering. If we find that we have no saltiness, no preserving influence on the people around us, it may be because we're not really salt at all. Like the salt in the first century, we may look outwardly like the real thing. We may, however, not be the real thing. We may not be salt at all. We may be a simply cheap substitute. And Jesus says, salt that isn't really salt is getting thrown out. Thrown out of my kingdom because it never belonged. Listen, are you a preserving influence to the world around you? Do you arrest and keep the decay from occurring at a faster rate? Can the unbelievers around you even tell a difference? Jesus says, if you're a true Christian, they can. So if there's no difference between you and the people around you, it may be that you're not a Christian at all. And Jesus gives that sobering warning, you're going to get thrown out. But if you are a Christian, 
How can you be salt? How can you act as a preservative in your community, in your workplace, or in your school? How can you fulfill this mission that God has given you to be a preservative? Number one, be in the world. Be in the world. Turn with me to John 17. I want you to see this in our Lord's high priestly prayer. Prayer that he prayed the night before his crucifixion. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. But I want you to see what he prays. John 17, verse 14. Referring to his followers, he says in verse 14, I have given them, Father, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. But I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Jesus says they're not of the world. They're not of the rot. But I don't want you, Father, to take them out of the world. Instead... He goes on to say, I just want you, verse 15, to keep them from the evil one. I want you to protect them while they're here. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus says, listen, I left you here to be in the world. Father, don't take them out of the world. I want them in the world. Notice verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus sent us to be in the world. Why? Look at the end of verse 21. Now he's praying not only for the 11 at this point, but also, notice verse 20, for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us. And notice why he wants us to be in the world. Verse 21, the end of verse 21. So that the world may believe that you sent me. We have a mission. And he wants us in the world to accomplish that mission. Listen carefully to me. For salt to fulfill its purpose It can't stay in the salt shaker. It has to be out in the rottenness. You can't be the salt of the earth if you always want to hang around in the salt shaker with the other salt crystals. What do I mean by that? Christian, do not intentionally isolate yourself from unbelievers. Our Lord never did that, and neither should we. He wants you in the world. Let me ask you pointedly, how many unbelievers do you know? I understand the challenge this is. I understand it when I was working in the secular world. I understand the challenge it is. I understand that challenge as when I was working in Christian ministry. And I understand it's even a greater challenge as a pastor. You know, when I was just working at Grace to You, and I introduced myself and told people what I did, they weren't put off. Nowadays, in fact, this happened yesterday. I was at a store, and a man that was helping me said, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Started... <laughs> started shrinking away as if I had some dread disease. It becomes harder. But we need to be in the world. Assault. Be in the world. Secondly, if you want to be salt, not only be in the world, but be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. Notice Jesus says that right here. Right in the middle of that passage I just read to you, He says, I want them in the world, verse 15. Don't take them out but protect them. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. In fact, here's what I want you to do, Father. As they're in the world, I want you to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, and then I send them into the world, having been sanctified. The big picture of how to be salt is just be who you are in Christ. Be the new person you've become wherever you are, at work, at school, as you're interacting with all kinds of people in your life. Be what God made you and what He is making you through sanctification. 
God has done this. He made you salt. He's the one who put you on the meat, as it were. He put you in the place where you are to preserve against the further rotting and decaying of this world. But God did it. He intentionally left us in the world for this reason, and to be salt is half of our mission. Listen, don't hide who you are. Don't just try to blend in. I'm not saying be obnoxious, be weird. I'm just saying be a Christian. Wherever you are, be who you are. Be a Christian. This week, I can promise you this, this week you will be faced with at least one, probably several decisions. Something will happen and you will have to make a decision. Am I going to be who I am in Christ? Am I going to be salt? Am I going to say what I believe? Am I going to be kind, but am I going to speak up? Or am I just going to try to blend in? That dirty joke comes along and maybe I'll just, even though I don't really think it's funny, I'll just chuckle because I don't want to be weird. A dishonest business practice is suggested. Well, I guess I'll just have to go along. It's not much I can do. I'm just one person. Fellow student suggests that you cheat to make a good grade. Well, I don't want to be odd. You're going to be salt, or are you going to go along with the rottenness? By the way, if you're salt, prepare yourself. Verses 10 through 12, you might be persecuted, but that's okay. Who matters? Those people and what they think of you, or what your Lord thinks of you? Be in the world. Be who you are in Christ. Live out the Beatitudes. Be who you are. Instead of proud, be poor in spirit. Instead of laughing at sin, mourn over your own sin and the world's sin. Instead of complaining about your circumstances, submit yourself to God's providence in your life. Instead of being harsh with people, be gentle and gracious. Instead of longing for all the wrong things, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Instead of being unmoved by the trouble of others, be genuinely compassionate. Instead of having a heart that loves the dirt, demonstrate a love for and a pursuit of purity. Instead of being bitter and angry, be a peacemaker. I can promise you this, if you will live like that, you will be salt. Just live in obedience to Christ. Be honest in your everyday interactions and at your job and in your school and with your neighbors, with the cashiers and the waiters and the plumbers. Demonstrate a genuine respect for human authority by doing what those in authority over you tell you to do in little things. Don't approve of those things that are opposed to God. Don't laugh at them. Don't enjoy them. Don't find yourself entertained by them. Be different. So, be in the world. Be who you are in Christ. And if you want to be salt, one last thing, don't lose your distinctiveness. Don't lose your distinctiveness. Don't lose your distinctive character by becoming mixed with the rot around you. Don't try to be just like all the other people are. Our Lord's a perfect illustration of these things, isn't he? Think about it. He was in the world, but he was never of the world. He was always influencing and never the one influenced. The world never changed him, not one bit. He was always the preserving influence. And he is the model for us as well. May the Father help us to be just like Jesus. Like it or not, Christian, you are the salt of the earth. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his current series, The Power of Your Influence. 
Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. Now, before we leave you today, here again is Tom with some closing thoughts. This image of salt is so powerful, isn't it? It reminds us that Jesus has called us to be the salt of the world. We are called to be among unbelievers, living in a world, whether it's at work or in our neighborhoods or at school or wherever it is, we are to be salt. And we're to be salt simply by being who God has made us in Jesus Christ. We're to be salt by showing those qualities that are listed in the Beatitudes at the very beginning of this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We can be salt by being who we are in Jesus Christ. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.